You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? It is Monday, and that means it's time for the aftermath, where John Sheeran and myself break down what happened in the last game. Maybe using a little math. I don't know. We may need to use something to figure out what the hell happened yesterday. That was just awful. But we're going to talk about it, and we're going back to kind of our regular season show where we do the post game show right after the game, and then we do this show on Monday. Uh, preview slash uh, kind of our bigger show back on Thursday, that sort of thing. So we're going to, we're going to be hopping around and bringing you all kinds of stuff, but I'm Anthony. He's John, John. Oh man. That was, uh, I, we all took one on the chin there yesterday. I feel like there's, there's going back to the drawing board and then there's just throwing the drawing board away, getting a new one. Cause that one was <laughs> bad luck. It's kind of feels like, Feels like the old days, man, when we used to talk about, you know, losses for a living on here. This is the first Joe Burrow Bengals game that they haven't scored a touchdown since, I believe, 2000, when they lost 27-3 to to the Wink Martindale Ravens, who were upset at them taking a field goal at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's been a while since it's it's been this bad, but, yeah, here we are. <laughs> I, I had a sobering thought right before, and I didn't even want to tell you this before we took the air, but I had a sobering thought. Um, just a, couple, a few minutes ago, in the last two games we have seen of the Cincinnati Bengals, there's been chatter and there's been losses uh, going into each game. And, you know, it's not not great seeing knowing that the last two times you have watched this team, uh, they've, they've lost games. So um, a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the weather. We're going to talk about all kinds of different stuff with this game, if you wanted to call it that. Um, Here's here's kind of where I want to start, and I was on a uh, a Dayton-based Fox Sports radio show with Marty Bannister earlier today, and I kind of mentioned this. Um, one in three is that is Joe Burrow in season opening games, and one in four is Zach Taylor in season opening games. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where you stand on. Well, I think I know because you've said a couple times. Where about the preseason snap thing and getting time and all that kind of stuff. Is this just, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I get Burrow was hurt 
Um, but you see just the lackluster output yesterday. You saw the struggles last year in the Steelers game. I don't know, man. I mean, is it just time to rethink the the whole process here if you're the Bengals? Perhaps. Um, it, it sucks because the missing five weeks of practice time is just objectively not good. Regardless of your standpoint on playing in the preseason, regardless if Burrow is 26 years old and is in his fourth year and is still getting mental reps on the side, the difference between practicing for five weeks with a backup quarterback where the timing's off, where the velocity's different, where the arm angle's different, everything about catching passes from another quarterback is different from catching passes from your starter. And that does matter when when you talk about the rhythm, the offense, the flow, and everything, and just the timing of routes and just play designs. And it, it all it all factors into it, even if on a play-for-play play basis it doesn't seem like a ton. It adds up over time to the point where you get that, you know, crap show that you saw on sunday so it, it definitely it definitely had an impact him missing all that time and only having really one full week of practice i know he returned two weeks ago but he was on like a limited basis so yeah him not being out there i definitely attributed to rust it's stuff it's stuff that we talked about that it might have had like a little bit of an, of an impact it ended up having a lot of an impact and i think that compounded with the browns continuing to be a matchup from hell for this team who matches up perfectly against what the Bengals want to do on top of the fact that for both teams, the rain did impact the passing game. It wasn't just the Bengals who had struggles throwing the ball. Deshaun Watson in his nine and three quarter inch hands, he also had trouble pushing the ball down the field and getting a grip on it. So all of that added up to a perfect or imperfect storm for the Bengals. Well, you, you talked about it. I guess that's a good good place to start, um, the effects of the rain here. Obviously, I, th- that's, that's kind of what I... You know, and I'm seeing a lot of optimism in our comments and stuff. Uh, you know, they'll be fine. They'll be fine and all this kind of stuff. And another point that I took optimism out of this game, which was difficult to, um, was in the the fact that Deshaun Watson wasn't lighting the world on fire either. Um, you know, and he actually, the Bengals actually notched more sacks against him than, they, than the Browns did against Burrow. But I think that was from a combination of factors, not necessarily just, you know, uh, regardless. I don't think Watson looked that great throwing the ball in those elements either. He made some plays with his legs. He made a couple of nice throws, but otherwise there were a lot of balls that, that he was throwing um, that were skipping to receive. I mean, they were bouncing to him. They weren't making it there. Uh, so, I mean, it definitely had an effect. And both coaches noted that on Monday talking about how bad it was essentially to play in that kind of weather and, and how difficult it was on the quarterbacks. Yeah. I think what Zach said, uh, today monday afternoon about it. it like yes both teams had to play in the weather but i think the styles of offense that both teams were running definitely made a difference too because the browns offense we all know what it is right it's a lot of play action bootlegs rolling around like watson had the ball in his hands for a longer period of time on average compared to joe burrow and that does help when you're trying to grip a football that's slick and it's wet regardless of how hard the rain was pouring the fact that it was constant meant that it was just tough to keep any of the footballs dry in this game and when you hold the ball when you take the snap and you're holding it for a long period of time it gives you more time to get a grip on it to set up the throw and when you're having to basically operate an offense where it's a lot of quick passing and it's a lot of getting the ball quickly getting a grip on it and getting it out of your hands it's tougher to establish that firm grip which is why you saw a lot of Joe Burrow's you know quick passes short passes kind of flutter out of his hands like he's almost throwing a basketball so the offense that the Browns were running allowed Deshaun Watson to push the ball down the field and allowed 
him to actually make some more competent throws because unfortunately the Browns just had that type of offense and that type of offensive line to kind of operate it. Whereas with the Browns and what they were doing defensively didn't really give the Bengals that much of a chance to run some of those longer developing plays. Yes, there was a few times when Burrow got to push the ball down the field. And those were the times where you saw that it didn't really seem like like the, the slickness of the football was really getting to Burrow in his grip. It did seem like what Zach said had some weight to it, whereas those longer throws, it looked like he was he was having less of an issue of getting a grip and getting some push on the ball. So I think I think that definitely mattered here. And also just with the Bengals can, continuing to not being able to protect well against the Browns, like the Browns, like their defense line is really good now. Like Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Tomlinson, both really good complimentary players to this alien that we know of, of Miles Garrett. I think being on the road and not snapping the ball until two or one seconds on the play clock even gives him even more of an advantage because he can just time the snap at that point. He was averaging like 0.049 seconds uh, in terms of an average get-off time, which is just, it's it's insane. We don't really see that, and it doesn't matter how big your left tackle is in Orlando Brown. If he can time the snap that well, he's going to be able to beat him. And then the Browns obviously had a better running game. They can have a more reliable running game that can... You know, be prone to more explosive runs. The Bengals don't really have that yet. Yes, the Bengals can run for like three or four yards carry, but if that's the backbone of your offense, you're not getting any explosives out of it. It doesn't really matter how much you run the ball. If your passing game doesn't provide you anything of the sort, it's just not going to be a good offensive day. And it wasn't a good offensive day. That is for sure. Um, you know, the, the rain obviously had an effect on the passing game. I thought um, despite, and we'll talk about the offensive line, despite some up and down, if you want to call it that, play from them this week, uh, the, Joe Mixon looked good. I thought, and, and there were drives when, the, you know, they were not throwing the ball. Uh, I think it was their lone field goal drive, or at least maybe it was the one that they uh, they ended up opting not to go for it, and they made it into Cleveland territory. But essentially, I mean, they were they were ripping off chunk plays uh, with, with Joe Mixon, and, and it, it kind of baffled me a little bit as to why i mean i granted i know later in the game you started to fall back score wise um you know it kind of baffled me a little bit as to why they didn't try and do a little bit more in that regard uh and you know the the reserve running backs definitely didn't have the impact that you know what samaje p ryan did on this team last year it's tough again because yes the bengal's best plays offensively were joe mixon runs i'm not going to say he didn't have any positive runs but still, he ran, he ran the ball 13 times and was only successful 23% of the time. That matches the same success rate as however as Joe Burrow dropping back to pass. So like that, that's just more indicative of if your passing game is just terrible, it, you need a generational run game to even put up a respectable offensive showing. And yes, the Bengals had positive moments running the ball, but when you're in a deficit like that because your offense can't do anything, you have your rookie punter punting 10 times in his debut, it's it's just it's just hard to just run the ball 30, 40 times. Yes, maybe you might be able to get one touchdown drive out of it, but it's tough, man. Like, it, like you know, again, Mixon, I think, ran for about 50-something yards on 13 carries, which, again, it's a respectable average. He had a couple of decent runs. But if you're not popping off for an explosive run to drive, it's just tough to kind of lean on that when you have nothing in your passing game. Yeah, and I mean, some of the just sobering statistics in this game, you mentioned the 10 punts. 10 punts to 14 Joe Burrow completions in the game. T. Higgins, I think he had eight targets, zero catches in this game on eight targets. I, 
so some of this stuff, it's like, man, uh, part of me thinks like this is a complete anomaly because of the weather, because of the rain, because of all this stuff. Um, but also it's worrisome in, in a lot of ways. And we kind of had a similar conversation at this point last year where the member again in that, in that Steelers game and in that Dallas game, you know, they tried to do the, the different passing attack and they had to adjust to RPO stuff and different stuff, shorter stuff later in the year. And it, it worked for them. Um, and we're kind of, I'm kind of feeling like we're having a little bit of the same conversation, but you know, this will, I guess, evolve a little bit into, you know, the game plan, some of the decision stuff in this, in this game, you know, I've been thinking about it. I've heard a lot of, and kind of seen out of the, out of my periphery of uh, on Twitter about discourse on where, where were the intermediate routes? Where were the routes across the middle and all that kind of stuff? Um, as I thought about it a little bit, yeah, there's merit to that for sure. But it, I also know that some of those routes they like to use are drag routes and stuff like that, that are slower developing when, and when Burrow is forced to get the ball out of his hand, what was the average 1.9 seconds, two seconds, something like that uh, as calculated by, I think it was Nate Tice. Um, th those routes aren't going to work for you. So I, I don't know, man, there, there there's the offensive line still kind of showed some, some major inconsistencies in a lot of ways. I thought Orlando Brown did fine. I wouldn't say outstanding. He gave up, I think, a, a pressure or two, but no sacks. And uh, his he had a respectable PFF grade. I think it was in the mid-60s. But overall, man, um, we're, we're kind of having the same conversations that we were having last year about the offensive line, even though there's new faces, the offensive line and the passing attack, and what are they going to do about it? Cleveland's defense is legit, I think, at this point. Like Jim Schwartz. It, great hire for them. Um, you, you saw Miles Garrett being used in very unique ways. Like rarely do you see a 6'4", 270-pound defensive end in a two-point stance right over the center and then have that be a, a generated pressure that leads to the first attack of the game. The Browns, like, it, it's not it's not necessarily that, that the Browns have the Bengals' number. It's just the Browns have the personnel, again, to completely stifle the Bengals' offense despite giving them pre-snap looks that the Bengals – fiend for right there was i think a browns fan earlier this week that was talking about you know the browns are going to man up against the Bengals receivers and they're just gonna let their cornerbacks go and just see what happens and i think a lot of Bengals fans thought that like oh my god they're gonna play press man against jamar chase and t higgins last time we saw that was against the falcons last year and and they all went off and it was a great offensive day the browns cornerbacks are really good denzel ward and Very. martin emerson played phenomenally in this game like T Higgins had eight targets no catches and it wasn't even like it wasn't even like he was open for any of them right Martin Emerson was sticking to T Higgins like glue and there was even a back shoulder throw I believe that was targeted to Denzel Ward and Ward just read Burrow's eyes perfectly because Chase never stacked him so Burrow sees that and says oh okay if he's, if he's not going to win over the top I'm going to back shoulder him to kind of work you know the quarterback's leverage against him and Ward read it perfectly because again if the Bengals see what the Browns were trying to do on defense on defense and give them single high looks and give them man coverage across the board. That's a one-on-one -on -one opportunity with both of their big best receivers. Joe Burrow is typically going to take that every time. And I think that was the Bengals like that. That was their thing, right? If they received these looks that they wanted to take, then they didn't even bother going over the middle. If they were just going to get spacing on the boundary and the outside. But, but if you have cornerbacks that can play the ball that well and can stick to your vertical routes that well, it means that, you can even give the Bengals what they want and you can still stop it, which is just at, at this point, like we haven't seen that stage from Zach Taylor to kind of step off of, of that and kind of evolve in mid game from 
doing something that they really want to do. And I think it really kind of flustered them at that point. Yeah, and then, you know, like we said just a, a few minutes ago, we you throw in the rain having an effect on trajectory of throws, you know, ability to get strength on the throws. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, what do you make of some of the, the in-game decisions, though, John? Because there was a situation, as I mentioned, the Bengals got into Cleveland territory and you have a, a kicker with a big leg. And I think it was fourth and three. And they end up punting it. Now, I understand the ebb and flow of the game was field position battles, right? I mean, that's just how it was. It was 10 to three into the third quarter. So, I mean, I, I understand, you know, where you're going, where you're going with that, I guess. But, I mean, no field goal and I, you're having trouble on offense. I don't know, man. It just felt like that was a situation where you go, man, you got you to make something happen here, particularly in a game where the Bengals were plus two in the turnover margin and got goose egg points out of those turnovers, I feel like you got to try and make something happen there. And then on the flip side, they go for a fourth down late in the game, way deep in their own territory. And I understand you got to play four down ball a little bit at that point, but that you were really deep in your own territory there. I don't know. They're just some questionable um, felt like rushed. I don't want to say panic decisions, but just felt like rushed decisions that we, we haven't really seen this team make before. I would say that fourth and yeah, that, that fourth and three inside their own thirty-nine. It's there's pretty much there, there's pretty much no scenario where I would advise punting that, and and even like even kicking the field goal. Like I would want them to go for that probably nine times out of ten. I think the reason right. why they they I think the reason why they punted is because the game was just at a at a point where the Bengals' average starting point was like the ten, their own ten, and the Browns' average starting point was like the forty. So I think they were just obsessed with just flipping the field at that point just to see what would happen but the but the downside is though if you're punting from i guess brad robbins was technically what at the 50 and then he punted into the end zone you then only it's give up what 19 yard yards punt. yeah it's net 18 yard punt so that's the risk right and that's where yeah it's the human element making that decision to play for field position but you forget the human element of punting and your gunners don't know where the ball is when it lands at the three and then it trickles into the end zone so then it's it's basically rendered useless. So I don't blame him, obviously, for going for fourth down when you're down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, it, just to spark, just to see if something does happen. But yeah, even, even if they even if they did convert that, uh, it, it's just hard. It's just hard to imagine the offense getting into the end zone after what we saw yesterday. So uh, you know, it, there there are so many indicators throughout this game, even though it was close, as to why. This wasn't going to go the Bengals' way, and that was one to me where I just said this isn't their day. If you're going to punt, if you're going to play the field position battle, which may or may not have been the smart move depending on who you ask and what you think about it, then you net 18-yard punt. <laughs> you net an 18-yard punt. At that point, you might as well have just gone for it. And and you know if you failed, then you failed. But uh, you know it's that it's that deal. And then you're you're struggling to get points. And then you know McPherson goes out there, misses a 51-yarder when they when he was automatic hitting 58 yarders in the preseason and all that stuff. 
didn't miss an, a kick the entire preseason and attempted a lot of them, by the way. So it, there were just indicators where you go, man, this is just not their day. I, I go back to this, though, about preparation. I think there was even some chatter maybe about, you know, the Bengals weren't maybe up for this game or, you know, maybe not as focused or, or that sort of thing. Uh, that that kind of stuff worries me, particularly first game of the year and, and in particular against this team that you would feel that they would have an extra chip on the Bengals would have an extra chip on their shoulder, not only because it's a divisional game, battle of Ohio, the whole deal. Um, but, but just in the fact that the Browns have had their number. So that worries me a little bit. And I, I would, I want to ask that question to you, but also, I mean, is, were there just too many distractions with contract stuff and, and all kinds of different things this week that you think factored into the result that we saw Sunday? I don't know if it distracted the players, but I felt like it almost was a, was it was it dominated the conversation for us, where it was almost like the game was kind of an afterthought to a point because the Burrow contract kind of came down to the wire, and he didn't sign until Saturday. And you're thinking, oh yeah, they they play a game this week, so I, I can only imagine, you know, what I, I, again, like I don't want to speak for players, like I I can imagine it had it may have had some impact, but you know, these guys are professionals, and I think DJ Reader put it put it pretty simply uh, when we're talking after the game, like as soon as he. You know, he smells. As soon as he smells the grass, like he, the, the the switch is flipped, right? It's it's time to go. And I think the Bengals' defense, for their credit, like they they showed up to play. They kept a two score game inexplicably for like I think fifty minutes of the game until the Browns scored. I think their third touchdown. So yeah, at least it, like one side of the ball was ready to play, and that side of the ball also happened to play in the preseason and didn't suffer any major injuries to any of their any of their starters. So credit to the defense for continuing to show up and they look to be on track to be really stingy again. And there's a lot of good performers that we can talk about there. So one side was ready to play. I think the other side was just clearly rusty because they haven't had their quarterback in a while and it just wasn't ideal conditions. Before we talk about who impressed and who didn't, I want to, it's a kind of a segue question for you because I have just maintained that really I mean, there's some Cleveland's got some good players, and you talked about their corners and all of that. But it just recently it has come down to Nick Chubb and Miles Garrett, what they do and don't do in a respective game. Um, you just mentioned that you thought the defense played pretty well. I thought they did as well. You for, again, you're plus two in the turnover margin. Um, you're you're out, that unit was out there a lot, and oh by the way, they were out there after like really short drives. <laughs> So, I mean, I I understand it, but Nick Chubb again, hundred yard game. I think it was a sixth or seventh against the Bengals alone in this rivalry. Um, and when he shows up on the stat sheet in, in a big way, the result is usually a loss for the Bengals. So, I guess does that was that just a pro a byproduct of defensive exhaustion because they were out there for a while? Because I. I mean, he had some nice runs early, and there were a couple nice plays that he he had, and a couple nice cutbacks and things like that. But it just seemed to kind of snowball to the end to me, maybe when they were when fatigue was settling setting in a little bit. Yeah, it's a common it's a common phrase, right? Like you know, he's a running back that can wear down a defense, and I don't think that holds a ton of weight for most weeks, except when it's like this. When again, the average possession for the offense lasts what like four plays at most right it, it, you're giving you're giving the browns a ton of extra extra possessions essentially because your time of possession is is frankly very small so when you're just getting put back onto the field time and time again and the browns run i think 
somewhere in the range of like 35 plays, 35 run plays, I should say. Yeah, eventually it does probably, you know, take an effect into that point. So this is just one of those weeks where like the the, the defense can only do so much, right? They they can give the ball back to them twice. And if they don't score off any of those turnovers, then the turnover margin is pointless. The fact that the Browns allowed more sacks than the Bengals, like that, again, that's still pointless if you don't really take advantage of those drive ending plays. So. It just is what it is. Yeah, but again, he shows up, and then Garrett gets the sack to end that. Uh, I think it was on that fourth down play there, kind of end, essentially ending the game more or less at that point. So, um, I, I, flip, flipping on the other side, then um, again, I think the, I think the defense played pretty well. Uh, Jermaine Pratt, I thought had a had a great game, and I was I was pretty impressed as well with the 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 players in the secondary i thought cam taylor Britt uh, had a couple of nice pass breakups and and good plays on sunday i thought obviously dax hill getting that interception off the bj hill tip i thought he looked every bit of the part um and you know dj turner was out there he made it he made a couple plays as well so a lot of the young players i liked a lot of what the young players did particularly in the secondary. So that's where I was pretty encouraged. And it, like you said, I think you use the word stingy and that's, that seems to be a good, a good adjective for this group. For sure. Um, fun fact, Trey Hendrickson actually had a higher pass rush win rate than miles Garrett in this game, even yep. though he didn't record yep. as many uh, total pressures, but he showed up against Jedrick Wells mm-hmm. at left tackle. Um, I believe Sam Hubbard went up against uh, Dewan Jones for most of the game. Uh, Hubbard didn't exactly have a phenomenal game. Like D- Jones, I think, kind of went back and forth. He had some some bad losses, but also some pretty dominant wins. But like like you said, uh, Cam Taylor Britt very much impressed me. I believe two receptions allowed, seventeen total yards, but he had a pass breakup and he just looked really good. Um, Watson wasn't afraid to push the ball down the field. His average depth of the target was over ten yards, and there was rarely a, a situation where I saw Taylor Britt allow any separation down the field the Browns don't really have a ton of guys who can stretch the field like that but you know for all the hype that was surrounding him in training camp and practicing against Jamar Chase and going back and forth with him it does look like he's on track for the second year leap Um, dropped interception though I predicted that he was going to get three by the end of the season so I would have liked to see that happen but credit to Dax Hill first career start first career pick even if it was off a tip pass good for him yeah nice play by him uh, I'm I'm eating crow on this one because I said that I thought Irv Smith was going to have a big imp- or at least sizable impact in this one, particularly early. Uh, he had a drop pass. I, I I can't remember if he had a reception. Um, I'll have to go back. He had and three. Look. He had okay. Yeah, I mean they just weren't for much. Uh, there was another. There was another play where it, you know it, it just wasn't wasn't pretty. Um, but I, I, again, I don't. It's not like I'm writing him off or anything like that. I think it's more, again, a, a bit of a byproduct of just the entire team not playing well, the rain, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to make excuses for for people. Um, maybe even a little jitters, you know, first game, new team, all that, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, but it did not go well. And, you know, this was a game. I I guess I can I can feel a little bit good about this because, again, with the, the rain and with all – this was a game that you felt like you have a dominant tight end and that's, that's where he would shine in a game like this. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, Dalton, our buddy, by the way, who d- does a lot of graphic design work for us and for a lot of people. Great. Does a great job. Um, he, he asked a good question. I, I, you know, I, I'm, 
I, I don't know how I feel about it because I, this week wasn't that pretty from that positional standpoint. But again, it's week one. Yeah, it's 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 too early to say this about really anything about the team, considering that it's week one. Considering that it, it, it's again, it's a match that we know does not favor the Bengals. And I think that bothers people because the Browns haven't exactly been a winning franchise in recent years. But I think you have to take what they've done this offseason to improve the defensive line, just to improve the defense in general, to acknowledge that Deshaun Watson's probably going to play a little bit better. They have a decent offense. Like the Browns, I think, are going to compete for around 10 wins this year. I don't think that that's like in the range in the area of, of, of absurdity. Like they're a pretty good team and they match up really well against the Bengals, arguably the best out of any team. And it's just a really bad day for the Bengals offense. And that's just, that's all it is. I don't know if you can draw any major conclusions. I, like we, we've been through this before, man. Like I, I remember after week two last year, everyone thought the sky is falling. It's very common to see people kind of resort to that, but I'm just, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet either. I guess we can, we can talk about this. Um, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I, just continuing on this on this part real quick. Um, offensive line. Uh, Volson had a really bad PFF score this week. Um, they credit to the Browns because they moved their guys around the line a lot, and uh, you know did did some stunts and different things to expose matchup problems with Garrett and others up front. And you know, at the end of the game, also Garrett getting that sack was on Jonah Williams and. I think on that sack, he he got past Jonah Williams and a, a running back there to chip him, um, got through both of those and, and still made the play. So I thought, as I mentioned earlier, I thought Orlando Brown Jr. looked pretty good. You know, there were, there was, it wasn't a perfect day by him, but mid sixties, I think overall grade in the, in the PFF score for, for him. And he was their best lineman of the day, but it was, it, it was a lot of ups and downs with more downs from the offensive line, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I don't think, Either one of Orlando Brown or Jonah Williams played like significantly better or worse than the other. I know Jonah got credited or charged with the sack, which was a common case of why sometimes chipping Miles Garrett doesn't work because he can just bounce off the chip and just go back to the inside. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a very Lucy's choice, right? Because it, it disrupts the spacing and pass protection. Sometimes when you have that extra guy who's just trying to chip the guy back inside, but. Jonah, I think, played fine for his first game at right tackle. Again, Zadarius Smith is a pretty good number two edge rusher. Orlando Brown played fine at left tackle as well against Miles Garrett. Um, again, Garrett is really good at timing the snap. He's even better when the offense makes a habit of snapping the ball with one second left on the play clock. But as a unit, I think the offensive line played offensive line played okay, especially considering it's a really good defensive line. There wasn't any one player that I'm like, oh, yeah, he was exposed all day long, but None of them necessarily had great individual performances, which is tough when the offense kind of performs like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's kind of, and we'll we'll talk about also um, the Burrow contract in a little bit as well, and just kind of some thoughts going into uh, going into ne- next week's game. But you you kind of mentioned about you know headspace and week one. We've talked about you know week one is it, it can be fool's gold for a lot of teams. It can be. Um, or it, it, it can be an indicator sometimes, but a lot of times it's, you know, we, it, it's a wacky week. We talked about it uh, last week when we were previewing this this game. But here's here are a couple thoughts that came to my head a little bit here on this one, John. You mentioned this Browns team could be a 10-win team, and that is definitely feasible. Um, 
my areas of concern here, and I have two of them. Number one, I already, well, there's three of them. I already mentioned the season opening situation where this team just has one win under Zach Taylor uh, in, fi- in five years now um, in the season opening. Uh, you know, while again, week one can be an anomaly, we, <laughs> at some point it's, it's becoming a theme. Right. And so you maybe have to address some things. The other thing is it's not just consistently losing to the Browns. There are blowout losses to this Browns team uh, and, and more than two, I think. I mean, I, I, I can remember the one with the Denzel Ward pick six, uh, the 99 yarder or whatever, um, you know, in 21. There was the Halloween game last year. And there's this one here. And man, I mean, it, it again, we're, we're approaching a theme here and going to your point of this being a potential 10-win team of the Browns, let's say they get into the the playoffs with that, and oh, by the way, the Bengals maybe turn things around and and get into the playoffs themselves. We could be looking at a matchup like them hosting or vice versa the Baltimore Ravens like we, we experienced last year. So this could be a playoff matchup, and as you said, and as I just said with the score indicators, this is not a good matchup for the Bengals if and when this comes postseason time. Sounds like a big problem when it comes to that, but I think that's just something that you just have to have to deal with once it comes to that. It's like it's it's like like I I know I know what you're saying about like the Bengals turning it around. It's like I I just I just don't view it like that. I guess like there's nothing like obviously there's a lot of things to work on, but like turning around a season after one week, it, it just it I, it's like it's it's one week. However you feel about the Bengals 48 hours ago should more or less be how you feel about the Bengals right now. One game, notwithstanding, like I I think there would be major concerns if there was any credible evidence about the way that this team is composed, it's coaching staff, it's leadership, it's locker room. If there was any credible evidence about that ever slipping into disarray. And I don't think, that that's the case. Like I'm pretty confident in that not being the case. This team has found ways to figure things out, figure out much worse things later in the season. So I don't know. Until I see like actual evidence of things snowballing after one game, I'm just not like, you know, it's just, you just take it one week at a time, I guess. Uh, Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, the, the wheels are falling off this thing or anything. I, I'm starting to feel, though, John, I'm starting to feel with this Bengals team going up against this current and, as of recent history, Browns team, it's feeling like Marvin Lewis teams going up against the Steelers. You have caught, even even in sure. some of the best and well, well-constructed rosters that he had, the Bengals would get past the Ravens. He had a, he had a good record against the Ravens. He was 22-10 and 10 against the Browns, but when it came time to the Steelers, it was abysmal. And it was whether it was postseason, whether the team was in the playoff hunt, not in the playoff, it didn't matter. They they would just lose to the Steelers all the time. And it is feeling like that again. And you know, there there exists a reality. I guess I'm looking way far down the road. And maybe I am being optimistic also, which is a good thing about saying this Bengals team can and should be in the playoffs. But I mean, a potential playoff matchup between these two teams, even if it's a hypothetical at this point, it it worries me. I mean, yeah, that's completely valid. I think that's also a testament to things being cyclical, I guess, because we we saw the pendulum swing back into the Bengals' favor when they've played the Steelers in recent years. 
Um, it's always been really competitive between the Bengals and Browns, and this is just an era of the rivalry and of just of the division where the Browns just are just better than the Bengals when they meet. And I, and I guess part of you know kind of where I'm coming from is that this has been a thing. This has been a theme for the past five years, including the past two, when the Bengals have still won the division regardless. So, and, and I, I guess until it kind of disrupts, you know, what the Bengals' ultimate goals are, it's it's just like a bump in the road, I guess. But like you said, like if it does come to impacting getting to that point, then yeah, it's it, it's going to be a problem for sure. Yeah, but you are optimistic. I mean, I, I think we're all pretty optimistic, and you're just kind of writing this one off as bad matchup, bad game, bad week. And it's week one. Yep. I mean, it, it's like, yeah, it, it's optimism, but it's also, I think, backed with just, I, I, I've not only seen this before, I, I just, I I feel like I just have a good grasp. I, think, I feel like we all have a good grasp on how this team is constructed and, and how they're coached and, and kind of how they lead and they, how they kind of approach things. And um, yes, they, they have lost two in a row before, but I like in, until I see them just, you know, collapse because of, of issues from like one or two games, like, I'm just not really, not really sensing that, I guess. Okay, so I'll follow that up with this one. Where are you concern-wise on Burrow's calf health? Yesterday we saw him on the sidelines, and maybe because it was, you know, a humid day and rainy and all that kind of stuff, so maybe it was kind of, I don't know, tightening him up, tightening up on him or something. But he was working with a trainer on the sidelines, um, you know, kind of w- with the resistance band and all kinds of stuff. I mean, are you – and he said it was – how did he word it? Um, it was good enough to, to work through or something like that, essentially. It felt good enough to work through, which is not necessarily a ringing endorsement of, hey, it's uh, this isn't bothering me anymore. So while I, I agree with you and your optimism and the fact that this team has shown a lot of character and a lot of ability to adapt, recreate itself and be successful in doing so, that's the one caveat where I go, well, man, how long is it going to take to not be just good enough it's going to be hey it's fine it's behind me right i, I think we kind of all because burrow kind of slipped in and during during his first presser about him saying that yeah it's still something that i'm managing you know i have good days and bad days and when it's bad it kind of tightens up so this was obviously his most extensive day of being a quarterback uh in a while and he was hit a few times he only sacked a couple times but you saw him try to leave the pocket and he didn't look like he was running at 100%. There were some times where it didn't look like he was pushing off of that right foot, and that could have just been from conditions and how, you know, maybe he would, wasn't able to, to plant it or, or anything like that. But yeah, I think it's still it's still a minor concern until uh, he gets more reps and it, just more time passes, but yeah, that's that's definitely that's definitely the one thing to be like, okay, this this could disrupt things if, if it doesn't heal pretty quickly. Well, we'll we'll start to get on out of here in just a little bit um, and we'll talk for a contract before we do, but I guess just quickly next week, this game against Baltimore and what we're going to preview that we actually may have a couple special guests to help us preview that by the way. So stay tuned for that on Thursday. Um, my question for you is Owen one start. We've talked ad nauseum about the, the, the start to the schedule and who they play and who's on it, the, the AFC North facet to it. Um, and then, of course, you've got the Ravens, who unfortunately have experienced a rash of big injuries to varying degrees and variance, varying importance of players. Um, seems to be the most vulnerable the Bengals would have them, uh, would be facing them at a point in time. 
Is this a must-win game in week two? Kind of feels like it. Um, you can't <laughs> you can't always go zero and two and expect to win the division. Yes, there's precedent, obviously, but I think going zero and two in the division as well is just a nearly impossible hole to climb out of if you expect to win it. You'd have to win probably the next four division games. And honestly, if you're just treating the Browns as likely a loss, you have 15 games sandwiched between these two matchups. Probably need to go 12 and three during them if you expect to have a shot at the one seed. Um, then you would have to go 12 and two. And again, like players don't think like this, coaches don't think like this. So it's kind of ridiculous how we kind of think like this. But we have the luxury, we can afford to do that because we're not actually playing in them. It would be really tough the hits, to get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It would be really tough to get out of this specific O uh, two hole in the division specifically. It is. It is. Isn't it crazy how we like they're, they're playing the Ravens week two, and they are still incredibly banged up. Like they're like they were playing in December. Like it's, it's. I guess impossible for the Ravens to come to Cincinnati with a fully healthy roster. It's crazy. I guess. I guess, and I'm sure if if and when the Bengals do win, we'll probably hear about that facet uh, from Ravens flock, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk quickly before we get on out of here about the borough contract numbers. You uh, wrote, uh, I, I think you wrote up something about it on eighties, a to Z sports.com where um, you broke down all the numbers and we've got it all figured out for you. Are we, are we sharing this here? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead and pop that up on the screen. I might be able to zoom in a little bit because I know this is what people mostly care about. Um, Andre Prada, resident NFL salary cap expert in front of the show, Bengals fan, was able to calculate all seven cap hits for Burrow's contract over the duration of the contract. And also, I was able to calculate how much cash uh, he's getting paid out. Long and short of it, highest cap hit is 2027, four years down the road, when it comes at $58.25 million. Uh, highest cash payout is next year in 2024, when a $55 million option bonus triggered and that's fully guaranteed first three years of the deal are fully guaranteed that's about 146 million it is the now the second highest total guarantee fully guaranteed money amount i should say behind deshaun watson it exceeded lamar jackson's 135 million dollar amounts that he signed for back in may like i said with guaranteed money fully guaranteed about 146 practical guarantees including injuries is 219 and that's mainly seen through two uh, 2026 and 2027 when those salaries are or those option bonuses i should say are protected via injury but as soon as like the league year passes after five days for both those years it becomes fully guaranteed so you're looking at essentially it, it is a five-year about 200 and uh 220 million dollar deal for the first five years and it's going to be pretty much guaranteed 2028 2029 are not guaranteed so that's when we might start to talk about Burrow renegotiating because he's playing with non-guaranteed money, but those cap hits again are in the low fifties. Cash is about the same, so I, I guess the big the big takeaway here is obviously guarantees beyond the first year of the deal, which is brand new to the Bengals. It's the highest or second highest guaranteed total behind obviously Deshaun Watson, but it's also structured in a way where there's no extraordinary cap hit down down the road in the future. Like there's no void years or anything where they have to deal with. Just this massive cap hit, and considering that the cap is going to rise exponentially over the next four years in 2027, when that largest cap hit hits, 
basically set up in a way where, yeah, this is more or less a team-friendly deal in the grand scheme of things. Like Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, they both have extreme cap hits that, that those teams will eventually have to deal with, and you're not really looking at here for the Bengals. So, yes, it's it's a lot of money against the cap, but compared to other quarterbacks, it's, it's actually pretty friendly. Yeah, good stuff. Appreciate you sharing that. And uh, tip of the cap, yes, to Andre Parada, who always has a, a fine pulse on – Salary cap issues, contract structures, etc. So thanks for sharing that, John, and wanted to update all the lovely people out there on the numbers, the structure, etc. You can find more about that on a to z sports.com where my guy John is killing it in the writing area and on cincyjungle.com. And oh, by the way, Cincy Jungle is where you should be getting your podcasts because we've got a great channel. Uh, us excluded, of course. <laughs> Um, we've got our show talking football with J- Bengal Jim and friends. Uh, we've got three and out with Jason and Kevin. And of course the coach Matt Minnick doing his thing on chalk talk. And, uh, you can get it, uh, get the audio side, uh, through your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes stitcher, or all the, all the major ones were on those. And then of course, if you like the video stuff that we do, so you can see the visuals as well, like the one we just put up there for you. Uh, you got to go subscribe underneath John. There's a show icon, orange and black insider show icon by the Cincy jungle logo. Click that to subscribe, click the bell to be notified when new content is available. And if you would give us a thumbs up on the videos that you're watching helps us out, helps the channel grow. And uh, that's what we want. We want to just keep giving you all kinds of different content. So hopefully you're enjoying it, but this has been the aftermath. We're going to start doing these again. Monday afternoons, evenings. So keep your eye out for that. And then, of course, we will uh, be back on Thursday night. So we're going to be having shows. If you like the live stuff, we're going to be having shows to help you get going up to kickoff of Monday night football, Thursday night football. And then, of course, we'll have special guests, listener questions live, post game shows, all kinds of different stuff coming at you. So you don't want to miss any of that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in live. Thank you for listening after the fact. Thank you, John, for joining me on this Monday. I know it's hard to drag our bones in front of a computer screen and talk about what the hell we just watched uh, with that debacle, but it is what it is. And, uh, hey, let's hope the Bengals bounce back in a big way next week. Thanks, John. We're on to Baltimore. We're on to Baltimore.